Welcome to the Vet Podcast by the Vet Gurus, Brendan and Mark. Get ready for the latest veterinary news, information and entertainment. Don't forget to visit us at the Vet Gurus website, vetgurus.com. Now, sit back, relax. It's over to the Vet Gurus, Brendan and Mark. Welcome to the Vet Gurus. It's Brendan here with Mark, episode number 8787, June the 14th. 2000 and I was going to say 2016 there, Mark. I don't know why I went backwards three years, but it is 2019, I think, still. <laughs> I should be saying I'm a little bit jet lagged, but I've got no excuse for that because I, I must admit I did come back into the country only a couple of days ago, but the time difference was only two hours. But but it was the other side of the world, Mark. So I'll, I'll talk a little bit about that in a sec. What have you been up to, and what's the dramas happening in your life at the moment? Well, haven't I? Got everything is pretty good at the moment, Brendan. I, I've um, just been tottering along at work as usual. We've been seeing quite a few um, interesting cases. We've, um, but just a little run of sort of like you know how we sort of see the the uh, our ferrets and rabbits and the, the most commonly kept birds the budgerigars and cockatiels maybe a few cockatoos i've been seeing a few sort of um more exotic um animals a couple of uh, black cockatoos and uh um uh, purple crowned lorikeets today and uh yeah, just just things around the edge that um, that often have their own little peccadilloes. So it's been exercising the mind a bit, Brendan. But I'm so glad to have you back. Oh, thank you. I think yes, I'm glad to get back. Um, I, although I enjoyed it immensely, my trip. So for those of you who do not know or, or have just joined up, um, vetgurus.com is the place to go um, to get previous episodes and to. Look about what we do and um, what we have done in the past. We may even talk about what we're doing in the future. Um, you never know. And, yeah, I've been to China, yes. So I was in China for about oh, two and a bit weeks, I think, Mark, and um, I was lucky enough to be invited to give a – to be part of a course there. We did an exotics course in Shanghai, which is our main topic today. We'll talk about the um, the actual course um, that I – I help present um, the practical and the theory, and also um, a little bit about um, the veterinarians, my new colleagues that I met over there and who attended the course. So that'll be the main topic. And the rest of the time, that was for five days, Monday to Friday. Um, I arrived on the previous Friday. So had a couple of days sort of orientation, trying to find our way around Shanghai. And uh, our lovely hosts were um, fantastic. They took us out every night. And then I had took an extra week and a bit probably eight or nine days and spent another day or two in Shanghai then went went to a um, took a bullet train which we'll talk about um to a to a city outside Shanghai then back to Shanghai and then I flew to Beijing and spent a few days there and looking at the main sites and some lesser sites and then headed off to climb the wall and I found the wall (laughs) so it's not too hard to find it's six to eight thousand kilometers long supposedly but I went to one of the sites and I did a bit of a hike there, which you'll, you may um, find of interest. So we can talk about that too. And um, yeah, had a fantastic time. A fantastic time. That it sounds like scintillating. It sounds so exciting. And to be able to combine um, the two things, being able to um, uh, do the, the teaching to work with um, our veterinary colleagues in China to um, give them the experiences that we have and then to be able to just do the touristy thing, oh, just would be awesome. And one of the things that uh, you'll have to tell me about, Brendan, is because one of the things about doing those presentations is that you're sort of um, immersed in the culture. The the your hosts will have um, will have uh, you know you probably won't feel quite as much like a tourist as you normally would because they um, take you and feed you and and uh, show you some of the local things. What was the food like? The food was. It was good, interesting at times, but good. <laughs> yes, yeah, so every night 
for the week we were being hosted, we, we were taken out to a, a new restaurant and uh, we, we, so they tried to expose us to all sides and all, all different types of um, the cuisine from the different regions in China, even though we were based in Shanghai at that time. So that was great. And, um, yeah, as you know, I we at home, our favourite foods include um, the Asian sort of foods, including um, especially the Thai-type foods and, and um, also... Um, Indian type food and um, you know the spicy foods we really really like um, and and um, Vietnamese food, so I'm not averse to to eating some of those types of foods at all. And um, actually, one of the things that I found quite amusing I was amusing was especially when I was travelling on my own, which was for the last eight or nine days that. that um, the, 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 the locals that I met in the areas I went to, they were quite amazed at the fact I could. Um, at my dexterity in using chopsticks, Mark, and I thought I was pretty, pretty poor at using the old chopsticks, but they, were, they thought I was um, actually quite good at it. So I, I had my little um, pride in being able to pick up, you know, individual grains of rice and, and nuts and and, and um, bits and pieces. But yeah, the food was good. It was, um, yeah, at times it was a bit of a challenge, and and it sort of pushed me more towards. Um, towards your side of things as far as being 100% vegetarian because some of the dishes were, were a bit of a challenge, as I mentioned. Um, and, and, what what, what, what and, sort of things were a challenge? Well, well, some of the ones. And, and you know, the two other presenters that, that were um, giving the course included um, Sid Knotek, who was the organiser from, from the Czech Republic, and you know Sid um, reasonably well. And the other one was Bob Donnelly, avian specialist from, from Queensland. And Bob um, Bob was trying to be trying to be tough and trying everything. So he was um, he ordered the the uh, well, actually one of the first nights we went in there we went to this little bar um, as you happen to and um, we decided to get the tasting plate. It was almost like a tapas type bar, Mark, but it was a, the Shanghai version of a tapas bar, and um, we had about ten different varieties of things. And I must admit it was a bit my fault because I ordered. Um, the items from the menu, and I thought I was ordering ordering reasonably um, safe items there. But um, one of the um, tasting plate menus was chicken feet, um, so and they literally were just um, chook's feet, um, so pretty bony, gristly that were deep fried, and and I didn't abide by them or indulge in them. Bob Bob decided to have a bit of a go at them, and, and not surprisingly, he said, "Gee, they they're pretty crunchy. There's not much meat on them." <laughs> And I thought he'd know that being an avian <laughs> specialist, Mark. Um, so it made me worry about his um, qualification there for, for for a few minutes there. Um, so yeah, so things like the chicken feet. Um, um, during the week, we had lunch at a. During the course week, we we'd wander down to a little hotel um, where we'd have lunch, which was only well two hundred meters or so from the from the clinic where the where the present where the um, course was being held. And um, they had some interesting dishes there, including, um, let me say, including pigeon gizzard um, was was one of the delicacies there. Um, also, um, a fair few times we had um, bullfrog soup. Um, so I think it's a Shanghai, Shanghainese dish, bullfrog. Um, so there were several times during our um, outings in in um, Shanghai where we had bullfrog um, and I, I again I didn't eat it although I've had frog previously and um, you know I just find them a little bit a little bit bony you know there's not much to it um, but again Bob was getting stuck into them and the one that really worried me Mark was one of these lunches that you know we, we, we and Sid Sid is 100% vegetarian and I'm pretty close to it now <laughs> um, Said the other presenter, so they ordered, made sure they had a few dishes that were um, um, just vegetarian or 100% veggie. And um, one of them they mentioned, oh, yeah, that's just fried um, tofu or something like that. And um, Sid and I and Bob were eating them. And then um, one of the other um, veterinarians in the course said, oh, actually, it isn't tofu um, and it's a meat dish. But um, I got a little bit concerned because none of them wanted to tell us what it was, um, <laughs> and they still haven't told us what it was. So I don't know what that one was, Mark. So it was a bit of a challenge with the different things. And um, yeah, that that tasting bar that we went to, um, one one page of the menu was was um, was a meat menu dish with with. Um, 
um, several several types of um, dishes with the bullfrog in it, but also several variations of snake um, that you could in, have as have as a dish. Um, oh, we wow. didn't order, we didn't order any of that. Um, so yeah, some interesting sort of um, meat type dishes, but yeah, some amazing, um, you know, amazing um, um, tasting other other dishes, and obviously some amazing noodles and 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 um, dumplings were were incredible there. I mean, one of the the classic favourites, I think, it's a Shanghai dish again. Is a, what's called a soup um, dumpling. Um, so it's a dumpling where you where you it has a soup inside it. So you bite out a little hole um, in the dumpling and Jeez. you suck the soup out first. It's a bit of a knack to <laughs> I was it. And then say, that that entails yeah. a fair bit of dexterity. I would have yeah, thought. Yeah, and, and then then you have to eat the rest of the uh, rest of the dumpling after you've. Um, sucked out the soup and apparently they're, they're a little bit tricky to cook and make because, you know, they're trying to sort of put a soup inside a, the paste Jeez. or the dumpling um, and then, then steam it as well um, without everything bursting. So, so yeah, but i tell you what, it was delicious and, and I was lucky enough that this is a couple of days after we finished the course, I went on a – I almost didn't turn up to it. I I'd had pre-booked a what was called a Shanghai foodie tour, Mark, and it yeah. was a night tour. Um, that went from six thirty at night to about three hours, I think, to nine thirty. And I thought, oh well, look, I've I've eaten so many dish- different dishes at lunchtime and at the restaurants that they've our hosts had taken us out to that I probably don't need to do it. But I, I turned up because I had nobody else to talk to anyway because I was on my own by that stage, and it was fantastic. It was um, I had to meet the um, tour guide at um, one of the subway stations at exit. C, I think it was, and um, there I was standing around exit C, and um, this man came up to me and said, uh, "Hi, I'm um, oh, God, I forget his name, but um, he came up to me and said, are you uh, are you Mr. Brendan?'" And I said, "Yes, I am." I said, "Well, I'm your tour guide for the night, and the night before they they had pretty s- small numbers, um, anything between about four and twelve in the tour, um, but that night it was me, so it was a private." tour um with this person so it was fantastic so it was just the two of us so we had a really good chat about things and he gave a bit of a history of shanghai he was a um he wasn't originally from shanghai but he'd lived in shanghai for for 11 years and shanghai i think the population everybody tells you a different population for the greater shanghai region but generally they report it to be around about 24 to 26 million people, Mark, Jeez. in one city. Um, and he thinks that vastly underestimates, underestimates it because that's the, the number of the registered people in Shanghai. And, for instance, he's been in Shanghai for 11 years and he isn't registered yet, so he wouldn't be counted as, as one of those 24 million anyway. So, um, so it may be a lot bigger than that. So it's a big big city um shanghai so it was a great little food tour so he just we just went from food stop to food stop and i I think i sent you a couple of photos and one of the highlights was a particular noodle shop that there's no way i would have found it was in the old shanghai region just this tiny little almost a hole in the wall noodle shop where they'd been cooking the same noodle dish for 30 years i think um and um it was it was fantastic it was a very simple dish it was just called um, noodles with scallions so noodles with with onions and um, apparently the onions they sort of um, um, they make the onion sauce or whatever for for many hours or days and it's a sort of a secret recipe that they've had for probably the 30 years but it was it was fantastic so we sat there and had a good good noodle soup and and lots of other little and then we had the shanghai um soup dumplings as well in another little local spot and um, ended up spending about an hour in this tiny little tea tea shop um, that that typically um, he said that the clients um, on the on the group tour only spend about 10 or 15 minutes but it was just me and and the guide and and the lady who ran the tours um, tea shop so I just had a chat to them and I just kept trying all these different teas and we went through about 20 different teas over an hour and he was just amazed that somebody would just like to sit there and just chat and um, and tr- try all the teas because he said you usually the tourists um, just like to, you know, move on to the next tasting. Um, so. You're no ordinary tourist, Brenda. And it was the, wonderful. The 30, there's one, before we get on to the news stories, I do want to ask you um, because the, while you were over there, um, 
It was the, th- speaking of 30 years, it was the 30th anniversary of the uh, incident in Tiananmen Square. And I just wondered, because you went to Tiananmen Square, I just wondered yes. what that was like. Well, I went there. Yeah, I went there twice. I, I only got in trouble once, Mark, in Tiananmen Square. <laughs> I, which, I can't believe that for a second. <laughs> which for me, it's pretty good. I, I had another bit of a let's let me let me call it an incident on my trip. Um, well, yeah, well, maybe more than one, but one other one other incident now where I got in a little bit of out. trouble. And so the the first one was um, previous to my Tiananmen Square. It was when I took a. I took their fast train, or they called them fast train, which are the bullet trains, um, and that was from Shanghai to a place called Hongzhou or Hongzhou, um, and that is a, um, a water town. It was a beautiful town. I only stayed there sort of one night, so two days, and that was a um, over two hundred kilometres or so. But it was um, yeah, the the train system in 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 China is amazing, Mark. I think it's a, I'd re, it's the best I've ever seen in in all the places wow. I've visited, um, and and it's so extensive, extensive. Even the subway, and I might talk a little bit about the subway system in Shanghai and, and Beijing as well. Um, and yeah, I, I I I decided to treat myself for that particular trip, um, even though the trip was only for about an hour each way and I booked the what's called the business class seat there's there's a first class seat but then one up from that is a business class seat which is basically a it's almost like a business class seat on on an airplane where you can have the fully low back um, little seat and everything and I think it cost me $40 Australian wow. each way instead of 20 or something so you know an extra $20 so it was fine and it was fantastic and the, and the trains start you know they're so efficient they only let people into the platform um, about 10 minutes before the, the train's due to leave and then the train arrives about five minutes before it's due to leave and then then um, it leaves bang on time and I wanted to take some pictures and I think I'd sent you a picture of the front of the bullet train and I was had my I took out my good camera instead of just the iPhone and I was snapping away taking some pictures and I was right at the front of the train obviously getting the front of the bullet on the bullet train and I was walking towards the towards the end of the platform and not still about 20 meters to go but they had sensors on the platform and um, I set off all the sensors on the whole platform and yeah it was um yeah it was um Pretty loud and lots of sirens and also um, <laughs> lots of um, pre-recorded um, message in 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 Mandarin and also English about oh, in English get away as well. get away from the edge of the platform, you doofus. Um, so it was a little bit embarrassing there. Was, and and for that particular trip too, I think I was the not the only non-Chinese person on the whole platform as well. So I stuck out like a sore thumb, even more so when I set off all the alarms. Yeah. <laughs> And um, you know, after about five minutes of of, of the train taking um, um, leaving the station, I thought, gee, it's gee, it's so smooth, and you know, we must be getting up to about sixty or eighty kilometres an hour. And I turned around and looked at the little screen that was behind me, and we were we were travelling about three hundred and three kilometres an hour. Oh my goodness! Um, is it, it so they smooth? Maglev yeah. things are they? No, that one wasn't. They do have a maglev one from the station, um, from from the airport to to one of the main um, um, tra- transit stations. Um, and I didn't didn't catch that one. That one goes the, the average speeds even faster for that one. The one I was on, it was yeah, it got up to anything between about three hundred two and three hundred twenty, I think. Uh, so it only took an hour, and that was you know, and it was amazing. And and they have one going every it's either every hour or every half an hour. Bloody <laughs> To that city, it was just so, so so many. But when you consider the that particular station that I was in, it's one of the biggest um, train stations in the world. It's certainly in the top ten, if not the top five, and it's it's bigger than most airports. The actual departure hall, it was incredible, um, and. Yeah, it was just amazing. Um, so, yeah, so that was a bullet train. And, and it, it, you know, the comparison is I um, when we were in India last December, we took the fast train um, from Delhi to the border of 
Pakistan, um, and that was probably the same length of, of um, the same distance, 200 or so kilometres or so, and it took us six hours. Um, and that was a fast train because that one went at 60 to 80 kilometres now instead of 300-odd hours. So, yeah, um, so yeah, so that was a fast train and it was quite um, quite an experience apart from setting off the um, – but I got, my, I got my picture, Mark, as you may have seen. Yes, you so got your picture. I was quite happy with that. So the Forbidden Sea, oh, sorry, Tiananmen Square, yes. So, yeah, security, as you can imagine, was quite tight. So you've got to make sure you take your passport when you go to Tiananmen Square. I mean, the, the sad thing is that um, most, I think most Chinese under, and I may be speaking out of turn, but I think most Chinese under 30 or so because it was the 30th anniversary of that that particular event, um, the, the event has been sort of wiped off the, the, the history book books in China so um, a lot of people under 30 don't believe it actually or don't know um, that the Tiananmen Square uprising or, or protests occurred at all um, which is a bit sad um, so but yeah it's a I mean it's a, just a big everything's big um, with all their monuments there in, in China so massive massive square and and next to Tiananmen Square is um, Chairman Mao's mausoleum, and there's also um, a, the monument to the people, and then there's uh, the Forbidden City, which is I think the locals call it the Palace Museum, and the Forbidden City is literally um, it's it's massive. It's got lots and lots of buildings in there. It could take you all day to see it properly. I only spent about half a day there, so you know lots of lots of. I mean every 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 time you went on the subway too, you had to. It's a bit like going through an airline. You had to put your any backpack through the X-ray machine and um, potentially get the little X-ray wand waved over you as well. So it was pretty tight security most places you went to. Um, yeah, so I only got told off once at Tiananmen Square, and that was because I was doing something I shouldn't as usual. <laughs> and um, that was, um, although again, I got the photo. It was taking a photo of, of somebody I shouldn't. Um, so yeah, because um, you're generally not recommended to take photos of anything military or, or, or military p- people. And I was, um, I had a really good um, sight of a. With I, I, I did take one of my longer lenses or, or medium lens, and I saw saw through that lens a really good picture of um, um, one of the guards um, um, walking up and down with with um, a, the the big um, picture of Chairman Mao um, behind him, and it just looked really good. And it's probably one of my favourite shots. I'll send it to you if I haven't. Um, and yeah, soon after that, I I um. Yeah, I got into a little bit of trouble and was told off not to take any photos like that ever again. And I think you only get told once in a place like that, perhaps. So, so I was a good boy after that. With that, you know. Yeah. So they were the two main, two main um, potential minor incidents that happened there. Minor uh, international incidents. Interest. Interestingly, yeah, they were all both photography related, and one of the other ones was as well, where I'd, I'd gone into a temple um, and happened to wander through the one of the one of the buildings in this temple through the back door in one of the temples rather than the normal front door and they had a sign at the front saying no photography in this particular temple um some of them you could and some you can't so sometimes you have to check to see whether you could and i was taking some photos there and all of a sudden i had a hand on my shoulder Um, so it made me jump and I turned around and it was one of the security guards um, so, and he, he explained to me in sign language that um, I better not keep taking photos. So I stopped, yeah, so nothing nothing too serious, yeah. But the people were lovely um, everywhere I went, you know, all the locals were fantastic and, um, yeah, very friendly and I had a, had a really good time and, when, and, and I did manage to get to the wall, um, yeah, so the... You know, the other last thing I'll chat about because people, all our listeners are probably getting a bit bored about this. We'll talk about some veterinary matters and some news. Um, was, um, yeah, the wall trip was fantastic. So I went to one of the um, day trips from Beijing, um, but I went to the one of the areas that's a little bit further out um, that takes a good couple of hours to get there. Um, and I also um, um, booked in one where you go for a little hike as well. And I didn't realise um, with this one as well, I got there I, um, when I got on the bus, um, the, the tour guide came up to me and said, well, you're the only one doing the hike. So again, it was a private tour, so it was fantastic. 
and all the other people on the bus, or there's a fair few buses there because you can imagine it's a it's the Great Wall, so a lot of people see see it. Um, they all hop off the bus, um, and then you catch the cable car up to the up to the wall, and then you walk along the wall for for several of the towers. And and yeah, some of the towers are quite steep um, to get up to them, so it's a bit of a bit of an effort. But um, the tour I took, he um, he called one of the um, local um, village people um, um, this woman came in a little rattly old car and we jumped in her car and, and she drove us halfway up um, through the back streets um, halfway up into the bush um, and, and dropped us off and we hiked up to the wall mark so it was fantastic it was, and it wasn't a it wasn't an easy hike you know he, we were both puffing by the time it was an hour and a, hour and a half or so hike and we were outside the wall um, so so the fascinating thing there was we were the only people outside the wall um, so all the tourists were, were walking on the wall so we had all these people looking over at us with quizzical looks saying how the hell did you get down there off the wall yeah. um, and he had this site where we could then eventually sort of climb the wall and I've got a couple of pictures of me climbing the wall and it is actually climbing from the outside of the wall um, to get onto the wall but you know it, it truly is a spectacular um, 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 structure um, so yeah so that was a fantastic day trip as well and and we did that in the morning and I was lucky I did the morning tour because um by the time it was about one o'clock or so, we had torrential rain, and I'd already um, seen most of the bits I wanted to. So I, was, I think we were lucky there. So, yeah, lots of fantastic experiences, lots of more um, interesting things, and some funny, funny events that have happened, Mark. But maybe I'll, we'll, um, I'll talk about some of them um, in the future. Future, we can pop them into in between other little veterinary bits and pieces so yeah let's jump into some news some some vet news mark instead of brendan's tour guide news there's nothing wrong with listening to you. there's nothing wrong with listening to your tour guide it's just a um a uh, and it's a classic example of how our wonderful degree connects us with the rest of the world and allows us to experience those things i love listening to you but i'm going to tell you about um it's probably not so much a veterinary matter as uh, like because we often drift with these news stories into just general animal topics because, you know, we have such a wide-ranging interest in animals. Um, and this one is, surprisingly enough, about songbirds. Only indirectly, though, Brendan. Um, some researchers uh, uh, in America, particularly in the South, um, were doing uh, surveys of populations of tiger sharks off the coast of Mississippi and Alabama. And they were surprised when one of the... Um, the subjects of their study regurgitated, regurgitated some unusual feathers that uh, that didn't um, that they didn't recognise because uh, tiger sharks are known for having a crack at um, seabirds, um, and so it's not unheard of to find seabird feathers in their stomachs or in regurgitated material. Um, but this these were none that the researchers could recognise from. Uh, from any of the seabirds they knew. So they actually did a very cool DNA analysis where they um, rinsed off all the, the uh, various goop from the, uh, that the shark vomit contained, then um, under sterile conditions opened up the feathers uh, way down at the base of the shaft and were able to get some DNA, which identified the bird as a ground-dwelling brown thrasher. Um, now, brown thrashers are um, uh, ground-dwelling terrestrial birds. They don't go anywhere um, near the ocean. Um, and so it sort of started them on this quest of trying to find out, you know, why were the sharks, why, how did this bird get into the belly of a uh, shark? And they developed a little bit of a, they identified a pattern that um, particularly juvenile tiger sharks would seem to um, um, uh, make a bit of a specialty of uh, land-based birds who were blown out to sea. Now, obviously, most seabirds are going to land on the water and be able to take off, but most of the birds from the land don't have, um, you know, they're, they're exhausted, they get soggy, they're not as waterproof, um, and so birds like the uh, 
swallows, wrens, meadowlarks, relatively um, weak flying birds might get blown out to sea in a storm and then these tiger sharks were making a bit of a specialty of an easy meal. Um, and there's the theory that uh, such an easy meal um, would be good for young tiger sharks that weren't experienced hunters um, and um, you know, they, there probably is a degree of specialisation in, in the zone of water uh, working at the top and in certain um, distances offshore probably means they're going to come in um, to a, a large number of these particular prey items. So I thought that was particularly cool, Brendan. It was a real case of sort of forensics, isn't it? Veterinary or animal forensics. So, yeah, it's, um, it was a very interesting story there. And they have a picture there of a, well, it's saying partly digested remains, but it's almost a full bird, isn't it, that they've got, um, that they've pulled out of the, the stomach goop is what they called it, didn't they, um, somewhere in the article is, is the um, official <laughs> term for it. Yes, good story, Mark. Well, I'm sticking on China. You are. <laughs> For my first story, and it is is it it is a story about a new panda park um, that has been been formed or, or, or developed or, or, or roped off or whatever you want or connected. Um, that the, the aim of it is to reconnect fragmented habitats in an effort to reunite the bear populations that have been separated from each other. And um, for those who don't know, you know, there's the, the breeding program in China for the for the pandas is is doing quite well. Um, so they're, they're breeding them quite well. The difficulty is releasing them back into the wild. They, they're really struggling with the efforts of doing that. Actually, in fact, one of the one of the um, things I watched on one of my um, plane trips, um, I think on the way there was a little documentary about, um, about the um, pandas and, and trying to release one particular panda. Um, and, um, and they selected a a female that that seemed to be a bit more switched on than all the others um, pandas in the in the um, breeding centre, and they thought she'd do okay out in the wild, and um, put a radio track in um, collar on her, and eventually sort of soft released her mark, and then um, let her go and um, tracked her for a while, and then um, she stopped moving for a day or two or three, and they eventually found her halfway up a tree. She'd been beaten up by a wild panda, and they had to put her back into captivity. So that was a bit sad, um, but. But yeah, so the, I think the difficulty is trying to trying to integrate um, the ones that they're breeding quite quite successfully into the wild ones. But what they what they're doing is they they're, they're developing this. Um, um, there's apparently thirty groups or so of, of of pandas that are scattered across China, and they're planning on a giant panda national park, which will cover over ten thousand square miles or twenty seven thousand square kilometres. Um, which, to give you a bit of an idea, is about triple the area of Yellowstone National Park in in the US. Um, so, um, and it's not an insignificant amount of money that they're putting into it, Mark. And that's a bit which sort of blew me away. Ten billion yuan, which is one point five billion dollars, Mark. One point five billion that the park um, will take to sort of. Um, to do um yeah so it's a good thing um and i just hope they can keep them keep them going and um, um the answer to perhaps your question is or, or listeners question is did i see any pandas when i was over there no i didn't um a couple of the places i stayed at had a had local zoos with pandas but i, I didn't end up having time to, to look at them i did want to visit one of the the main breeding centre, but it wasn't where I was um, I was heading on that trip. So maybe next time, Mark. Next time, indeed. Hopefully, I'm there with you, and we can uh, we can um, try some of those dumplings and spot the pandas ourselves. My, <laughs> my next story is about um, this is this is a story that makes me very angry, Brendan. Very deeply angry. Um, the story is. And- and we must, sorry, Mark, um, we must thank um, Belinda from my clinic, I think, um, sent me this story. Good on you, Belinda. Before, just before I um, headed over, she said, oh, Brendan, this will make you and Mark angry. Oh. And it looks like it has. So, she, yeah. She's sensitive to, she really knows the things that are going to tick me off. Um, this this is the story uh, um about um, a call from the Victorian branch of the Sporting Shooters Association of Australia um, to 
to change. There was a couple of the wetlands in your part of the world, in Victoria. Um, Victoria has seasons for duck hunting. Um, and so people can go out during particular times of the year um, and um, take their weapons um, and um, and shoot some wildlife. Um, it is, I've got to be fair, Brendan, I don't want my anger to cloud my judgment. And uh, and there is a whole bunch of rules about um, uh, which species can be hunted and, and the manner in which they're hunted, um, which all those rules are designed to lessen the pressure on endangered species and um, ensure there's minimal suffering. But like most of those rules, Brendan, they they really depend on um, an, an informed and enlightened uh, participant to ensure that the um, that the uh, rules are followed, and um, and it doesn't make much difference once the damn things are shot. Um, you can't very well go. Oh, that was an endangered one. I just made a bit yes. of a mistake. I'll let that one go. Um, but um, the calls are because some of the wetlands were closed this year, um, particularly because of the presence of one of my favourite animals, the freckle duck, uh, an endangered species here in Australia. And so when they are present in wetlands uh, in relatively uh, high numbers, then that wetland is shut off and uh, hunters are not allowed to shoot there. Um Mr. Laird is the representative of the Sporting Shooters Association in Victoria, and he suggests um, that extremist lobbyist lobby groups who abuse and denigrate our members are the problem. And uh, he said rain in Central Australia created ideal breeding conditions for ducks ahead of next season and hoped it would translate into common sense applied to bag limits and uh, the opening of various uh, additional wetlands. Um, the Victorian government quite sensibly told this reporter there were no plans to review the endangered listing for the freckle duck in Victoria um, and populations could fluctuate significantly year to year, but they still need protection. So I'm very, I'm pleased with your state government, Brendan, but I'm angry that people want to shoot in these places. Yes, I mean, uh, yeah, I I don't think I need to add any, any more, Mark. I think it's they see it as a right to to be able to cook, to be able to look to shoot as a, shoot animals as a sport, you know, which hopefully is will die out eventually in every every region in the world. But um, well, it was a, there was one sentence in that you know there was a fair few things that made me upset, but. Um, our members who are entitled to their lawful and cultural pursuits. I don't yes. know, just um, there are good and bad laws, and if they're bad laws, we should change them. Um, so just something being lawful, in my experience, doesn't always make it right. And geez, calling on cultural history to justify using high-powered weapons to shoot waterfowl i don't know that's a stretch in my mind brendan well perhaps he's been using a shotgun all his life so it's in his culture so, <laughs> maybe yes maybe well my last news story I, I picked this one because of the headline mark it's in one of the local smallish towns <laughs> in in victoria mark and and the headline is a, a typical aussie a typical australian sort of headline and and the headline is grunt the porker no longer a walker after pet pig cops wang street ban <laughs> so for those of you who who are not australian it literally needs translation <laughs> it does well Here's what the story is about, Mark. Grunt is a pet pig that has been banned from walking the streets of Wangaratta, and the locals call Wangaratta Wang, um, even on a lead, um, with his owner being threatened with an $806 fine if he steps out of line. Um, so this one made me a little bit angry, Mark, um, for a couple of reasons. Um, Hopefully I'll remember what the reasons, but yeah. Um, so Matthew Evans received a notice to comply from the council stating that his regular practice of walking his pet pig on a lead on council-owned streets breached its community amenity law because under the law, Mark, people cannot unreasonably interfere with others' enjoyment of council land 
or act in a way that endangers them um, because apparently there's been a flood of support to him saying he, can, he should be able to do it, but there has been some complaints, I think, wherein that Grunt could be a threat um, because he did escape at one stage and council staff spent many hours trying to contain the animal. Um, so they're worried about safety. Um, so he's been told that he cannot take little Grunt the pig for a walk anymore and he has to contain it to his property and not walk the pig on council property in Wangaratta, Mark. So, yeah, I was a bit annoyed about that, annoyed that, um, well, annoyed that, you know, some animals, and you look at this pig and it's, you know, the typical thing that we talk about here and that, you know, some people say, oh, I've got a miniature pig and there's no such thing as a miniature pig in Australia um, as a pet. And this is a decent-sized pig. Um, he'd be probably, I don't know, what do you think, Mark, 100 and something, 150 kilos or something? Yeah. It's a big pig. Um so whether they should be kept as a pet um, like this, um, although he did take them for his walk, um, but I think it's a bit silly um, what the council were doing. So I'm both for and against it, Mark, <laughs> this council and their ban of it. But um, what got me is is what what you love, the clickbait there, Mark, with the grunt, the grunt, the porker, yes. So that was my last news story. A bit of a lighthearted one after your, um, after your very serious, depressing one about... Um, shooting birds for for pleasure so our main topic mark is going to be unless you have a review do you no, have no, an idea? not did. that prepared yeah we'll, we'll we'll have a review next time i think there's a couple of um products that we can consider reviewing for our for our next week's episode so the main topic this week uh, i think um what we were going to do is you were going to quiz me on the the course that i helped present in china and a little bit about the attendees I, and, I and the actual very, course I, structure i was very keen to do this brendan and i i know you've kept it under wraps uh, over the last several months as you've prepared, but I am keen to get some of the details out for you. So um, it's a, a course in China, in Shanghai, um, uh, and um, our good friend uh, Sid Kanotic, uh, through his, um, um, is it is it uh, the European School of Advanced Veterinary Studies? Have I got that right? Yes. So that's, yeah, so E-S-A-V-S. Yep. Um, that is the group that runs these um, postgraduate sort of continued um, um, CPD type um, things. CPD type things, but I think they have a couple of certificate type courses as well. But, um, but this was more just a week sort of um, CPD course. Um, so, so yeah. Brendan, how many vets were there and, and what were they like? Well, they were vets, so they were fun, Mark. They were fun. Um, so there was about well, there's the three presenters, or the or the or the I got called a course master. How's that, Mark? Um, three presenters, and pr- I think we had fifteen, um, which was probably the limit. We didn't want any more because, as you as as you'll see, we had sort of lectures or presentations in the morning and then practical classes in the afternoon. So I was assigned the although we all helped out which, with the practical classes with 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 each other each day um i i was assigned the small mammal um and then there was an avian and then there was a um, a reptile one so it was a a course for um advanced um sort of exotics um care um for veterinarians and um yeah and 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 the course this year because i've had a few courses was um the it was um anesthesia and um and surgery, so the principles of surgery of, of those three groups of animals and, and a seizure of them. And then endoscopy was the second part of them. So we had good fun. So with my particular area, I, I spoke about the different anaesthetics um, that we may choose to use in them. And, and the frustrating thing was we didn't really realise till we got there because we, we, we did do some endoscopy and some um, minor surgical procedures during the course um, on 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 live animals that were obviously anaesthetised, that that they are very limited with the drugs that they can get accessed into China, that the government really limits what they can use. For instance, very few, if any, opiates um, are available, so they, they cannot use um, all the standard ones, buprenorphine, methadone, um, butorphenol, midazolam even, um, and that they're not allowed to use ketamine um, at all. 
um, in in the veterinary sphere. So, um, so they're really methadone. Um, so they're really limited with with what drugs they can use um, for analgesia. That's for sure. But even with anaesthesia as well, um, and um, even with euthanasia. So you know, um, we, we limited the number of animals that we euthanized, which was actually very very few. You know, probably less than half a dozen, um, which I think we were quite proud of. Um, the others were were, were um, recovered and, and and then would be kept as pets um the um yeah for euthanasia they don't have pented barbitone mark um there's there's no, they're not allowed to use it um so to euthanize animals so the same with with dogs and cats or any other compendium animal that's brought into a clinic that needs to be euthanized the method they euthanize them is they um, give them a general anesthetic, usually with propofol. They do have propofol. Um, they do have um, zolotil. They do have um, um, metatomidine um, and the reversal. Um, so they would anesthetize the animal for euthanasia and then they would give it intravenous potassium. Um, and they'd have little vials of potassium. So that's how they would euthanize. Yeah, so that was that was quite interesting as well. So, the, so I think they they struggle as far as the, the you know the the gear, the equipment, the the, the drugs, and 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 the um, even with antibiotics and other general general pharmacological um, products. Um, so that was a little bit of a challenge because my original notes for for instance anaesthetizing some of the small mammals was included the oh. you know the lazy person's anaesthetic, the intramuscular injection of the ketamine and 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 um, um, metatomidine, but we didn't have ketamine, so we had to modify things um, to, to 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 explain to them what what else, what other dosages can we use of the drugs that they do have there. So that was interesting. So yeah, the mornings were basically um, we we give some lectures on on, and it was all practical based. You know, his his practical approach to the anaesthesia of. Of, of small mammals or reptiles or birds and here's a practical approach to analgesia of them and then practical approach and, and what are the some of the common surgical procedures that we would undertake in these species so and then in the afternoon we they we get stuck into the into the actual um, practical aspects of them um, including well with my group we practiced um, we practiced some desexing um, of some rabbits we had some rabbits and guinea pigs um, there we did have some rats as well although the the vet Xu Qiu, who's a um, the Shanghainese um, veterinarian who's in charge of things, she she's has, has an absolute phobia of rats. Um, so when I said I need some rats um, for for um, practicing anaesthesia and that, she she freaked out. Um, and we did get them in the end, but we we um, didn't end up using them because we um, we we all our time allocated time was taken up with with the other species, the rabbits and the guinea pigs. Um, and then the other part was the endoscopy, and that was great fun. So we, 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 we each um, um, explained and, and demonstrated how to do endoscopy in all the species, all the general species. We had pigeons for the birds, um, and and we had some of the local um, um, snakes. I'm just trying to remember the species. I've gone blank um, of snake that we used. So um, Sid did. Uh, uh, um, we examine the the respiratory tract of snakes, um, and um, for the for the um, for the small mammals, um, we did well. We did varying things. It was great. We we did otoscopy, and um, the the rabbit that I put the endoscope down its ear canal, um, it was full of ear mites. So that was fantastic. So that all the um, delegates had a great view of ear mites. There you are, Mark. You're back. Ah, You're back. Brendan, if I look at our trace, it looks like I've been here the whole time and you've been the one who's gone. Oh, does it? No, I've been talking the whole time, yeah. yeah. So have I. Talking the whole that time. will be very interesting oh, to see you. how that pans out in post. Well, that'll work, that'll work out okay because I was looking at my trace on the recording and I'd just been talking about all the bits and pieces. So I don't know. What, what, uh, you can just, you can just run yours over the top of me. <laughs> yes. Um, I don't think, yes, I will. It, will. it looks like I'll be doing a bit of cut and pasting, perhaps, um, post, post editing for this episode. So, to fill you in, Mark, I just in case um, you, you don't know what I was 
talking about. I um, I explained that we did the anesthesia and analgesia um, um, practice, um, theory um, in the morning, and then in the afternoon we did the practical um, and how to anaesthetise the species, and then we did endoscopy. You were talking about your notes when I last heard that your notes before you left, uh, I suspect, had a whole lot of drugs in them that um, you that your your uh, um, the attendees to the conference couldn't use. So did you have to? Yeah, that's right. And uh, yes, I just I just did a little blurb on that. That while well, you're offline there, Mark. So yeah, um, basically we had to modify things, and it was difficult for them. Um, and one of the one of the things that I was quite surprised with, which you missed when you dropped out or I dropped out there is that um, they don't have pentobarbitone um, to euthanize animals, so not just the exotics. So to euthanize a, a, a companion pet, they anaesthetize it first and then they give it intravenous potassium mm. because that's all they have. Yeah. Um, and did they have any alfaxan? No, they didn't. Um, Sid brought some over. Um, Jeez, so I've, I've, I've heard of people getting into trouble bringing um, vials of material into China. He's a brave man, that Sid. Yeah, he, he um, yeah he did bring them in his little suitcase, and he and I think he got I don't can't remember whether he got quizzed or not about it, but he's he's I think he's quite blasé about it, and he just says, "Yeah, I'm here to do a course, and it's um, for, for anaesthetizing some animals." So, yeah. which species did you? Um, was there some unusual species that you got to see? Yeah, well, again, I, I did mention what, what we did. We did we did pigeons. You don't need me pigeons. at all. <laughs> we did pigeons for the birds. Um, we did. Um, a, a local species of snake, which I've lost lost um, lost my mind about, and I had guinea pigs and rabbits for the small mammals. Yeah, um, and did you did you notice like were they were they just exactly the same? You know, obviously the snakes weren't, but um, the other animals, the guinea pigs and rabbits, the same. Whether did they have dwarfs, lops? Were they you know what were the differences? Yeah, well, they tasted a bit like chicken mainly, Mark. But um, yeah, no, no, no. Well, we were very proud, and again, I mentioned it when you dropped out that we we, we um, very minimal numbers that we euthanized, and and the rest of them we recovered, and they were going to be kept as pets. I heard that, and I was very proud of you for that as well. There was very few that we euthanized. Um, no, the rabbits were were um, big um, New Zealand whites um, pr- predominantly, so they were big rabbits, so they were good to. Um, good size for the and to practice on. They practice it. You know, we did a, a, a spay and we did castrations, and then we did all the endoscopy um, on, the, including otoscopy, um, um, stomatoscopy, um, and um, also looking up na- nasal cavities. And I'll tell you one funny story. I have to talk about the vets who attended too, where they came yeah. from as well, not not just China. Um, with um, when. I managed to convince the endoscopy company that supplied the um, gear and, and um, usually they managed to get some from Storts, and, um, which is the gold standard, plus some um, no-name company. Um, Storts weren't there this time and it was um, – it was um, one of the Chinese companies there, and you know they, they were quite good. You know they were fine. Um, the, the, and I must admit, I have a mix of gear with my endoscopy gear at work, including some Storts and some no-name um, Chinese brands that I've purchased, and they've all been been very good. Um, and I did convince them to get a um, semi-flexible scope for me um, after the first day. And we, we poked this little semi-flexible scope up the noses of, of, of the rabbit. And we're looking at the little sinus um, nasal cavity there. And, you know, you can get up a reasonable length of distance there. And um, I was explaining the differences between the rigid scopes, uh, the hops, hop, hop, Hopkins scopes, which are, um, you know, you get the best sort of quality there because of the physics of them compared with the semi-flexible um, scopes, which are just fibre optic. And um, yeah, one of the who was one of our favourite um, students, although they're a graduate, they're a veterinarian, but we called them students. Um, she was um, pretty gung ho, and and um, if you didn't watch her carefully, she'd um, she you know the animal would be would be spayed, and she's done a splenectomy before you you know look back and and um, I turned away for a um, couple of minutes while she was using the endos- flexible endoscope, and um, I looked back and I saw on the sc- screen it was in the stomach. <laughs> <laughs> so, she'd, 
So she, I thought, wait, well, I haven't done that before. I haven't been that game to push it that hard or firmly. And, and she hadn't ruptured anything and she'd gone, you know, right to the back of the pharynx and then into the esophagus and into the <laughs> stomach. And, and she was so, she was one of the Chinese um, 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 veterinarians and, um, you yeah, I have to talk about the, the translation process, how that worked as well because obviously I don't speak Mandarin Um I can say hello and goodbye and how much is that? Go on, um, you've got to do that now. You've said you can do it. Go away. Ni hao um, to all our Chinese people. Um, uh, Sisi um, is thank you. Um, So, yeah, um, so we had an interpreter there, Anita, who was um, fantastic. She had a great sense of humour, Anita. So when we're giving our lectures, um, she would be sitting up front and a a 50-minute equivalent lecture would probably take an hour and a half because you would say a, a, a sentence or two and then wait and she would translate it to, to Chinese. I'm, despa- I'm desperate um, to hear how your jokes went over. Well, let me tell you a story about that, Mark, you know, because everybody said don't don't do any jokes because it will be lost in translation. Um, and um, I said to Anita, look, you know, I, I do like to tell a few jokes during my thing. And, and I did. I ended up after the first period we sort of warmed up with the students and got to know them a bit so I did start telling a few jokes and and yeah most of the time they seemed to be laughing quite heartily until I asked Anita and I said you know they they seemed to be enjoying my jokes and then she said to me actually when you tell a joke Brendan some of them I I translate and the other ones I say she translates into Mandarin and says Brendan's telling a joke now everybody please laugh (laughs) So there I was thinking they were laughing at my jokes and that they were just told to, yeah, he's telling another silly dad joke, so just laugh. <laughs> so that was a bit depressing when she told me that, so I got a bit angry with an editor <laughs> and said, no, you translate them um, 100% on my jokes. And um, some, she, um, I'm pretty sure she did with a couple of them because I asked some of the other other delegates there. So, yeah, mostly, mostly Chinese, probably um, nine or ten of the 15 were Chinese. Um, the other the others one I made up from... Um, well, Hong Kong um, person, a, a Japanese lady, Ryuku, um, who, hi to her, she was lovely, um, um, Japanese um, but based in Malaysia now, um, um, Indian, um, at least one Indian um, um, person who was very nice, I've forgotten his name off the top of my head. Um, so, yeah, a bit of a smattering of, um, and I think maybe a, an Indonesian vet or another couple from the Asia region there, but but mainly Chinese. So there was so when they split the group up into those because it was the three presenters um, into the practical sessions, we had we had um, five people each, um, and they they had it so there was um, an English speaking group because there were five people who could speak English fluently. Um, so that was easy. We sort of rotated between the three of us who had the English group during our practical sessions. And then Anita would sort of um, alternate between the two other groups to, um, translating as we were doing the practical work. So in the end, it worked very, very well. Um, so yeah, it was it was a great experience. And um, yeah, they translated. We had to have all our slides ready, you know, well before our PowerPoints, um, well before um Christmas, so well before the New Year, so they could um, translate them to Chinese as well. So when our when our presentations were up on the screen, they were in in English, but then they had the Chinese subtitles um, um, beneath it, um, or the interpretation beneath it. So it was, uh, and and the proceedings were in in two formats: an um, English format or, or a combined English Chinese format. Yeah, so. No, it was good and, and very, you know, the, our host, um, um, Xu Q, who was the organiser, um, um, local organiser, she was fantastic and, gee, I wouldn't want to mess with her. She runs a tight ship. She was fantastic but she did loosen up on a few of the nights that we went out, um, mainly because we plied her full of alcohol <laughs> and... Um, I remember one of the, I think it was by midweek we, we we came in to give our lectures at eight or nine o'clock at nine o'clock in the morning and um, um, she was she had a really bad limp and it was because she um, and I remember that was a pretty big night the night before and um, she got very drunk and she tripped over on the way back to find the the Uber taxi um, and um, um, she had a really bruised ankle so she's hobbling around for the rest of the week. <laughs> So, but she had a good time. We all had a good time. So, yeah, I loved every minute of it, Mark. And yeah, the the vets, as, as far as the 
the um, the quality or the standard that, that or at least as as far as we could assess um, with, with the local vets, it was a broad range. You know, all very very keen, um, and and some seem fairly experienced and and um, had, had done a fair bit of um, not just a surgical bits we'd done but also the endoscopy and then um, probably two-thirds of them I'd expect had, had not done much endoscopy or, or much exotic so so that's why we're there. they were there for the course so it was a bit of a smattering so I think we covered covered most people I think there was only one person who sort of thought it was a little bit too too simplistic you know some of our some of our teaching um but but overall i think we we did okay um they did fill in survey forms about um about the actual presenters but we don't get those back um for another week or two once they collate and and do all the stats on them I'll be very keen to um, uh, just compare notes with um, with your uh, students and make sure that um, that I'm getting the best of you here as well as they did there. Well, I just hope I passed, Mark. Um, that's all. That's all. But yeah, I had a fantastic trip, and I I, I loved every minute of of it. And um, I just um, you know. You never know. They might invite me back. They may never, but if they do, I'll be there. And um, yeah, if if there's a if there's a seat on the table or on the plane or or the place um, for you as well, then yeah, I'll do my best to try and um, see if we can um, get you over there as well. I do Mark. think I do. I definitely. My suggestion is they uh, need a little bit of guru work. I reckon. So we'll 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 see what we can organise. Yes. Yes. Well, we've. I thought we'd only go for half an hour with this, but I've rambled on for a lot longer than Matt Mark, and I expect that I may be spending a little bit more, more time in post-production trying to fix all of it once you dropped out there, um, or I dropped out, or both of us dropped out there. But um, all good. It's um, it's my penance for having such a good time. I have to spend a bit of time to edit the podcast. So thank you all for listening, and um, we will talk to you all next week. to the Vet Podcast by the Vet Gurus. Don't forget to visit us at the website, vetgurus.com, where you can subscribe, view show notes, listen to previous episodes and more. You can contact us via email at vetgurus at gmail.com to ask a question or just say hi. Thanks again and see you next time.